Hola, hola. You're listening to Se Ves Escucha, Seen and Heard, a language justice podcast for Boricuas, folks in Puerto Rico, folks in the diaspora, folks going back and forth and doing work between here and there and everybody else. Se Ves Escucha is a project of the Center for Participatory Change. I'm Ada, and this is the last episode of our second season, everybody. And it is an honor and a privilege for me um, to have these guests. We are finishing out the season talking about Puerto Rico. So with me today are Paul Lebron Guzman, Patri Gonzalez Ramirez, and Cristobal Guerra Naranjo. Welcome everybody to Se Ves Escucha. Hi. Hola. Hola. <laughs> um, so Patri. Pau and I met in Puerto Rico, um, so maybe we can start from there. Uh, yes. Do you remember where we met? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I remember the first time I met you, um, and I think that it was very interesting because the first time I met you, I had to call you in. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> I had to call you in uh, with you and other compas. Uh, uh, and it was it was uh, an act of, of 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 love and kindness and resistance. But it was a, it was the first time I called someone in that I hadn't even started working with as an interpreter. <laughs> but it was uh, I, I really appreciated how how that went down and 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 how you know how we just bonded and 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 came to work together for the for the few days after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean for for me so. Uh... Patri and I were interpreting at a uh, Lanzate for Mi Gente uh, 2016. And for me, this truly was like a life-changing experience in my interpreting um, life. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I, I always wanted to go to Puerto Rico. I grew up on the U.S.-Mexico border. Nada que ver. But I always felt like... If if there was someone else out there that knew what it felt like to grow up bilingually, biculturally, kind of gringo, but kind of not, I was like, I siempre, siempre like soñé con ir a Puerto Rico. And then I got this opportunity to interpret in Puerto Rico. And I put so much work into it. I, I really like put a lot of work into like researching, listening ahead of time, glossary, acentos. Um, it was really important for me to do like a good job and to do it justice and to do the folks like that were at this convening justice. Entonces, eh, así fue que nos, nos conocimos. It was actually like a very powerful experience to come to, to that place where we were, we were coming with our, our fears and expectations mm -hmm. and, and put it forward as a, as a team that was mm -hmm. being honest with what they were trying to do together. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. just wanted to say that. See. And so how do you all know each other? Yeah. So this is Pao. So I actually was also at Mi Gente Lanzate and also did um, did a workshop there and also interpreted, supported interpretation. And remember, I would get called in to do interpretation and we'd have conversations amongst the interpreters of how the participants, uh, the Mexican participants or Mexican from U.S. participants that would come in would be really happy when the Mexican interpreter was interpreting at the time. And then as soon as we'd shift to the Boricua interpreter, all the Boricuas are really happy at the time. So it was really interesting to see like how folks would get excited and how the different accents and even just, you know, obviously accessibility um, to language was like so visible in that space where we were all sharing space together. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really exciting. But that's where I met you um, Ala, as well. 
And with Patria and Cristobal, we're all of um, diaspora migration experience from Puerto Rico and the U.S. And we've been in community for, for years, um, interpreting, community organizing, artist spaces, and we've been connecting for, for a long time already. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I wanna. I wasn't able to go to Mi Gente, unfortunately. I missed out. I had I had a lot of FOMO. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been in New York for about eleven years, and I remember knowing about Patreon Pau through community and being like, "Oh, it's a song of Puerto Rico. Like, what's good?" And um, yeah, I think through parties, and I used to also be someone who would. Um, I mean, I grew up uh, doing interpretation like casually with the family. And I learned, basically learned English, like watching TV when I was growing up in Puerto Rico. And then moving to New York, I started volunteering at nonprofits and I would find myself grabbing the mic at like things like Trans Day of Action or, or different marches that would happen in the city and just be that one person who was always like doing interpretation free. <laughs> and I think that's an experience mm. that I think we all have had at different times. And, and through that, you know, I learned about the work that Pate was doing and about the work that Pate I was also doing and I think we just grew closer over time a lot of it happened you know in very like joyful spaces and uh, I think it it's been really beautiful to connect um, through, through the years how did you all start interpreting or how did you become an interpreter whatever that might mean for for you yeah um I think you know I was always my, it was something my mom would always say I was like, well, you're, you're really good, you're bilingual, so you need to get a, a job that pays well. I started working at this nonprofit, and we were doing at the time a lot of service for folks who were affected by the detention system, and specifically queer trans folks affected by the detention system. And it was my first um, nonprofit job experience, which in retrospect wasn't the best. Nonprofits can be really messy. But um, yeah, through that work, I saw this really, really dire need for you know very specific, very intentional. Uh, language access for folks who, you know, couldn't get that service. And I started looking for ways in which I could grow in doing that. And I remember um, hearing about this um, workshop, this Diane, the Audre Lorde project was hosting at the time called, it was a language justice Diane uh, uh, that was uh, led by Roberto Tijerina at the time. And I went to do that. And I was like, okay, this is something that I can definitely do and that I feel like, this is how I can contribute to the movement without being eaten alive by the nonprofit industrial complex. Yeah, I think we all share the experience that we all went through the interpreting for social justice interpreter training at the Aguilar Project. Uh, I went through the training in 2009, 2010 with Roberto, and I Pau can speak for themselves, but I, I they also did the training. <laughs> we all like graduates of the same uh, training. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I did it like 2010, which I think we have like all these parallel journeys um, of like doing it, you know, being bilingual or diaspora experienced folks within two languages and then becoming the bilingual folks that like interpret for family and parents, which I think a lot of people um, experience throughout their childhood and then doing it in different organizational settings as well, seeing that there's language injustice, feeling like mm -hmm. we need to do something and fulfill a need. And then identifying somewhere that could kind of channel and give us some some focus in that. And I think for me, definitely um, was uh, the language justice, uh, social interpreter, uh, social justice for interpreter training in Audrey Lord Project. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really, I think it's really cool that we all three did that because it's like the most unofficial yet official way of getting of getting into language justice. 
like it's not a certification and it's not an MFA. It's very much community oriented. Right. Um, and we've all like gotten into it by understanding and identifying needs to it and kind of getting together and starting conversations about what that looks like. Awesome. And so what ex- what's your experience now um, interpreting in Puerto Rico? Yeah, so I think that I mean, since Lanzate um, and since the Mi Gente um, conference, there's been a lot of different other um, events and conferences that I've brought, I feel like, the diaspora and folks in Puerto Rico together. And I think that's, that for me, that's really key of understanding that as a language justice need of being able to communicate between diaspora and Puerto Rico and the realities of like maybe, you know, first generation, second generation or different levels of the diaspora speaking different levels of English and Spanish and being able to bridge that communication. Um, that's been really powerful to see. Recently um, was part of the core organizers organizing a, a queer trans delegation. We called it Cutie Staff Brigade because we're cute mm-hmm. um, like that. And um, we, had, we brought in a bunch of folks um, from the U.S. to do a resource and knowledge and workshop exchanges in Puerto Rico and knew that um, the main focus had to be, one of the main focuses had to be language justice in those spaces. So that was a delegation that we did in January, and we got equipment for it, interpretation equipment for it, and provided um, interpretation in all the workshops that we did. So, for instance, we had a carpentry workshop, um, and we had interpretation equipment there, which was really interesting to navigate with machinery. Um, but it was there, and it was present, and folks could communicate about how to use that machinery and be safe around it. Um, we did it in a land project that was a guts rescuing um, a school in Carolina, Puerto Rico, um, that was closed after the, some austerity measures that closed a lot of schools in Puerto Rico. Um, we had language us there with community members, with folks from the diaspora, and um, even had a language justice training in an urban garden um, in the uni- one of the universities in Rio Piedras in Puerto Rico, in which we talked about language justice. Um, had interpretation in the space, and then use the idea of, uh, of queer ecology within an urban garden space to talk about creating language and about how, for instance, like the language of botany and ecology is very binary um, and is, was made by, you know, botanists, white botanist men, European men, and how we need to decolonize that as well and create new language with it and how that exists in English and in Spanish. And that's another level of language justice. Yeah, so um, I've also, uh, a lot of the work that uh, that has happened since I first, uh, since the connection that I was talking about in Mi Gente, when I realized that that was a big shift for me, just being able to work or do the work that I have been doing um, in community and in service here in, in, in the U.S., to do it at home was very significant for me, and that created a big shift. Um, so the following year, in 2017, I helped coordinate uh, interpretation and language justice for this delegation that traveled to Detroit. And that was the first of a series of, of delegations and, and work that has happened throughout the diaspora to connect Puerto Rico and the diaspora, but also from a, a site of learning and exchange. So in that uh, in that delegation, it was for people from the from the archipelago. Mm. Um, we don't say the island because mm. the island 
basically says that it's just one island, but Puerto mm. Rico is really an archipelago mm-hmm. of islands. Um, so folks from the archipelago, uh, folks from the diaspora, and from all from a bunch of states, from the East Coast, from the Midwest, from the South, uh, from the West Coast, and folks from Detroit. And the purpose of that gathering was to really exchange what have, what have been the experiences of austerity and displacement um, of, of our people. Uh, in Detroit and Puerto Rico and and throughout the diaspora. And it was a very powerful, very, very powerful event. Um, So I've been uh, doing the language justice work uh, in a place of those exchanges, which I think is a very big shift, having these people-to-people conversation Mm. of how the same distance of power are holding us down has been a a great... um, you know, a, a, a great way for people to actually um, understand what's the larger picture of what's going on in, in Puerto Rico and just to be able to, and that would have not happened without the principles of language justice and the way that um, w- we bring, you know, the, wor- the, the language justice framework into mm-hmm. the space. Mm-hmm. Can I say something of real course. quick? I wanted to add to the, to the delegation experience because okay. I was able to also be an interpreter. I went to Bonse with part of the delegation when they were here. And I think this also adds a little bit to the, to the question you just asked, um, Ala, um, because my experience was really significant in the way that doing that work, we went to see Elisa Mascovar's paintings in this museum in Ponce that was also a reading of poetry during, the, during that time by Antonio Correjer. And it was really beautiful to see, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of displacement that has happened historically. And a lot of the folks that have been in the diaspora, either first or second generation, like Bao was saying, have a lot of passion and interest and drive to really contribute to like, you know, the progress in the archipelago and resistance movements here. And there's a lot of disconnect, right? So I feel like, you know, creating and helping create that framework of language justice for in Puerto Rico and the islands is very, it's very special because I was able to see just like how just that simple tool of providing language access was able to create newer conversations so that people could get a better sense of the context of what was going on and what was needed and things that have been happening without feeling this, you know, feeling like they're intruding in certain spaces or like without, but you know, it kind of, for me, just felt like it created like a sense of belonging for folks in a way that wouldn't have been as easy if there wasn't that, um, that service there. And I think that's truly, truly special. And it, it says a lot about all the possibilities of what could, could be born out of continuing to do this. And I think it kind of, I feel like it looks that way in a lot of, in a lot of ways because it allows for folks who have felt disconnected, who have felt disenfranchised, mm-hmm. who have felt, you know, to come back and really, really participate in a meaningful way. And I think that's great. Yeah, I'm, but I think what is very interesting and what ties the three of us together is that um, we acknowledge that the experience of language is in constant move and migration. So I think the work that I feel closer to is the folk the, with that of folks that are similar to my experience. Mm-hmm. So the folks that are mm-hmm. coming and going because of work or because of um, of of having opportunities to do exchange, like people to people or act or activists or activists coming to learn or and back and forth. So um, that's a kind of like the work that I'm I'm closer to, mm-hmm. um, and which is which is a significant part. And I think it's it's been a, a which is what I think Cristobal touched up on before there was for for many years um there was a a disconnect between the folks 
in the archipelago and the folks in the diaspora with the multiple generations, um, because we have been taught by the powers, right, that we, we're, we're different, you know, that mm-hmm. we shouldn't talk to each other, that, you know, your, your parents went to the U.S. in Operation Boostras, now you're New Yorker, and this is how you need to embrace that identity and, 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 and folks in the archipelago too. But what a lot of, what a lot of doesn't get covered in that narrative is the fact that those are not clear lines. There are people that I, I say that my migration is a generational migration because my grand my grandparents um, migrated to Chicago where my father was born, um, and then they went back to PR, and then my father migrated to New York where all his family, you know, New Yorkian family was, and he was there for many years, and he went back, and I migrated to New York, you know, for mm-hmm. kind of following that generational migration, and one day I'm, and I'm, and I'm coming back, mm-hmm. I, I come back and forth, and I one day I will come back. So it's just um, acknowledging that kind of narrative, uh, and the and the and how much power it can have for for folks that are having those experiences to be the ones um, practicing the language justice because they do reflect a certain uh, experience or population that often maybe might not be the first person that you think is um, the same way that when you, when I, I heard you talked about before how it's important for you uh, or for the communities that you work with. Uh, and I've heard other people talk about it too, that it is so important that the interpreter looks like you, you mm-hmm. know, when you, or that it talks like you. Mm-hmm. We, that's something that we talked mm-hmm. a, a lot as community interpreters. Um, and and that's certainly the case, and it's usually the case when we work in these settings, but I think with this migration and constant diaspora experience, uh, sometimes it's not very clear who is actually like us or looks like us or, you know, or talks like us. So I think that has been an experience that um, has come for me uh, as I do, like as a process. I didn't know that about myself until I started um, healing and working on this. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Pao, do you want to add something? (laughs) Something that we've seen also um, with the recent manifestations and protests um, to oust the, the governor of Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. um, the diaspora really turned up and there was a lot of need for communication between the diaspora and uh, the archipelago. There was a lot of need for messaging and clear messaging, um, like the sharing of information, like whatever news were coming out, whatever the local communities wanted to share with the local communities in the diaspora that were also organizing um, with ways to support. I think that was, we saw like an, a really specific need for like a rapid response, like interpreting for rapid response mm-hmm. um, between communities, which I think would be really cool to continue building on um, that we see a need for. And then co- talking to folks in Puerto Rico that are doing the language justice work, like understanding what language justice looks like in Puerto Rico. What does that mean to like, you know, close proximity to English or having access to English? Um, what does that mean for radically inclusive language? Um, that's non-binary, specifically in Spanish? What does it look to like, you know, unlearn and relearn language and create and the evolution of language in that is something that we've really seen, um, which I'm super excited about. And I think there's so much possibility, Um, but really understanding like as the diaspora, how to connect to that and continue supporting that work and listening to communities and listening to folks who are building that work in Puerto Rico. I want to ask you all what your wishes and dreams and hopes are for language justice uh, in Puerto Rico, with Puerto Ricans, with the communities that you all are working with? Um, that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of dreams, sure. It's really an emotional topic. <laughs> I feel like, uh, for me, 
I think a lot about, yeah, I think a lot. I mean, I, I moved to, I moved to New York um, because, you know, I felt really weird about, you know, I guess specifically really, really weird about being a queer brown person in, in Puerto Rico and then being deprived of the fact that that shouldn't have been the case, you know, says a lot about our colonial condition. And, and, and I feel like building power is something that comes to mind. And I have found a lot of healing through making art. You know, I've, I found a lot of healing through making film. I find a lot of healing through writing. And, you know, part of the work that I feel like can connect on with Pao and Patria in a lot of ways is also that we all have so many interests that connect with language justice. And we sort of have been doing that work for a while that it's really beautiful to see them like sort of like um, intersect in that way. And for me, I mean, I want Puerto Rico to be like, uh, to be making amazing films that are like, you know, translated and have subtitles that are great and like are coming from here. Or like, I want there to be a base in cultural spaces. I mean, there already are, but you know, even more so that are like internationally recognized and, and, you know, sort of like, you know, contribute to the growth of folks in the island that want to stay in the island, you know, and don't have to feel like they have to be part of, you know, something else that's not just their own thing. And and then and then the future is can be can look so many can look so many ways. La futura se puede ver de muchas maneras. And I think we get a taste of that, right? When when cuando Ricky renunció and and you know there was so much highlight in all of these communities that have been. And I think what's what's fun what's fun about you know, organizing and building queer power specifically, it's a, it's a lot of imagining. It's a lot of, a lot of dreaming. And I think that's really great. And I think art has a lot to do with that and the art that we make and the art that we contribute to and what that can look like. So I think, yeah, some of my hopes and dreams are to really have, to really build that power in that way and, and continue. And languages and all of that. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, what can I add? For sure, all of that, absolutely. And with, with this, like, recreation and with all these possibilities, I feel like the, like, the, the process of decolonizing language is very much around unlearning and healing. And I think that that's, those are all the possibilities and, and creating this whole, like, non-binary, um, just dental, um, like, queer language. I think it's really possible in Spanish. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a decolonized language that has to be created. I'm excited about the formation of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the practice, right? I think that like seeing it in, seeing it in practice, like um, I, I was just in a space with like uh, elder Mexican women, like all, you know, non using all non-binary Spanish. And I was like, holy shit, like we're, we're seeing it. Like somebody dreamed it up. Many people worked on it and like we're seeing it in practice and that like warms my, my heart. Yeah, I was just in Dominican Republic for a farming project and it was exactly that. It was a space of 40 of us and I had brought in the, the idea of non-binary language and by the end of our 15 days, all the donies, <laughs> all the people, all the, like, the youth, 15-year-olds were using soles, uh -huh. were using cheekies, were using ami. We're like, let's go hunties to plant these, like, these pineapples. I was like, oh my God, my heart. It was everything. And I think that's actually thinking about the future. I feel like that mm -hmm. is a way to connect, for instance, for us, like building within the Caribbean, building, po building power and relationships between the Caribbean. I see that as so, so many like, parts of the possibility. Yeah, and that's and that and that power between the Caribbean and and the region was also something we reflected a lot um, 
I mean, it's been an ongoing conversation, mm -hmm. but we reflected a lot, especially after the hurricane. Um, also considering how the Caribbean is such a language, like such a diverse mm -hmm. uh, region linguistically. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think, I think Pao and Cristobal said a lot. One of the things that I would add uh, that is uh, in terms of, of this, of a dream or wish is um, also this, this idea of... Um, which is how we actually we started the conversation. How yeah, I, I want to clarify. I felt I felt bad that I opened it up like talking about the call, the, the how I called you in. <laughs> but it's but it's it, it's a full circle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think you know, and I and I can clarify. You know, the, it was. Uh, I think the 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 conversation that we have that it was in that context of a calling is like how folks from that were not from uh, Puerto Rico were concerned about you know interpreting the the Puerto Rican Spanish um, and 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 the accent and the and the R's and the you know the typical like you know they, I know they they substitute the R for the L <laughs> and um, all that thing and I and that's why I, that's why I was referring earlier that I did a a, a, a call uh, I called in now that mm -hmm. and other folks. Mm -hmm of how that was hurtful, you know, how that was hurtful, how the way that we speak and how the way we people think that we speak yeah. has always been a way on us um, as part of people that have, you know, that have built community also in, in the U.S. and in other parts of the world and how um, there's a lot of elitism and there's a lot of, um, of uh, when you, when, when those things are, are, are felt, there's also this idea that there's a right way to speak right. Spanish right. and especially in the yeah. U.S. and Oh, there's a right way to be proper as an interpreter and et cetera, et cetera. So that was what the calling was about. Mm -hmm. It wasn't terrible. <laughs> um, but, but what I, what I mean to say when I say that it was a, a for circle is because I do think that part of my hopes and, and wish and wishes uh, around this is that uh, we actually embrace all of that more. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I want, you know, there, uh, there is, there is no right and proper English and, yeah, and if, if if you're a little bit concerned about interpreting Caribbean Spanish, then that's a, that's a good thing for you as an interpreter. Like, just embrace that. You know, um, we do speak fast. <laughs> we mm -hmm. do we're like, you know, we might like roll our R's differently, um, and that should be embraced uh, as a language justice worker. And I think um, for me, it looks like um, acknowledging and embracing all of those, all, all of that slang, all of mm -hmm. those words that we have completely made up in different ways, especially in PR um, and incorporate. And, and for me, it means that I don't have to be apologetic about right. that. For me, right. it means that I can use them in my everyday, but I can also use it in my language justice work. Right. Um, I remember when I started and when I, when I talk about healing, I remember that when I started interpreting here in New York, I, was doing the most neutral accent <laughs> ever. Why? Because I, so people would tell me like, you're not going to interpret like speaking like that, like Puerto Rican, you know, like nobody's going to understand you mm -hmm. like nobody, you know? So then when you are actually hustling it, you, you do make compromises with yourself. And I didn't realize until it was years later, how much that was actually not good for me. <laughs> so what I've been doing as part of my healing work is just being unapologetic about the way mm -hmm. I speak. I know that I have, um, the you know the capital to to code switch and and do those different kinds of, of accents and and the neutral one but i should never feel that i need to compromise the way i speak and the and i should never be apologizing for the way my people speak mm -hmm. um 
that it's that is a collective work that we all need to do to find you know to to find each other and be our true selves, which is what language justice is about at its at its essence. Yeah, that's exactly so, what I was gonna say. Like my dream for language justice is that it welcomes all of this. You know, it welcomes all of the ways that we speak. Um, um, and and that's one of the ways that we kicked off this season is just kind of like broadening this idea of what language justice is and that it welcomes all the Englishes, all the Spanishes, all the Frenches, all the languages that are spoken and all the ways that we choose to, to speak them. So before we close, I know that you all are in the process in live. It's all happening of forming a collective. So I wanted to give you the chance to shout that out and tell us a little bit about it. All right. Yeah. So we are um, Colectivo Babilla or Babilla Collective. So similar to what we were talking about, about like appreciating, incorporating and really uplifting that slang and those body isms. Um, so we named it Babilla. It's a, it's a slang term. It shows up as reggaeton. It means to have courage. And we just felt like it was the most powerful for what we're trying to do. So we were all like about being Babillosis. Yes, Babilla. That's something that definitely resonated with all of us because I need some more Babilla in my life. <laughs> awesome. Pues, I want to thank the three of you. Um, yeah, I want to thank the three of you uh, for being on the podcast. We want to thank everyone who was on the podcast this season. I want to thank Leonel Gutierrez of GBD Productions for hours of listening to our voices and all the excellent sound production and sound editing work. Manuel de la Luz and Somos de Mente for all of the video content. Gracias, primo. Cass, thank you for lending us the recording equipment. I want to shout out Drew for all the copy editing. Gracias to Kitty, a.k.a. Michael, a.k.a. Chan, for putting up with me these last couple of months. Um, that's it, folks. That's it for this season. Please support the work of CPC so that we can have another season. If you want to make a donation to the Center for Participatory Change, visit www.cpcwnc.org and click on Donate. Thank you to 103.3 Asheville FM, WSFMLP in Asheville. If you have not done so, subscribe, rate, like, follow, leave a review. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CVS Escucha. On Twitter, we're SVSE Podcast. And you can email us at svsepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Music by Combo Chimbita. Yeah.